So I'm Ravi, and I'm married to the lovely Ruth, who you might have seen on Tea and Coffee this morning. And we've got Rowan and India, who are in kids' church, and also lovely, a little bit lively. I think this is feeding back a bit. Is that better? Um, so we've been here about three years, and it's funny, I was just sitting in the worship reflecting on the last three years and just how great it's been being part of the community here and you know how welcome we felt. And, um, and actually, next year, it's probably going to be the longest time as a married couple we've been in the same church together because we've moved around quite a bit so it really feels like home which is great neil asked me to choose uh, one of my favorite is this still feeding back a bit do i need to maybe neil asked me to choose one of my favorite stories of jesus Uh, and as someone who's worked in finance and also now helping with the trustees i thought i'd choose one about money but don't worry it's not going to be a giving talk this morning Um, In fact, I even thought of calling it Show Me the Money, which would have given me a chance to use the Jerry Maguire clip, Uh, but I'll save that for another time. Um, Instead, the title for this talk is taken from the L'Oreal advert, Because I'm Worth It, or Because You're Worth It. Um, So let me just open with a prayer. Father God, I just lift up the next 20 minutes or so to you. I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us through your word, through what you have to say to us about Jesus, about the things he said. And I pray you'll reveal something new to each of us today. Amen. So if you want to take a look in your Bible, we're going to look at Matthew 20. And we're looking at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others still standing around, and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. So he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked for one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Like many of Jesus' parables, he presents an everyday story, everyday characters, but he then turns it on its head and challenges social conventions and expectations. And he's doing this to speak to many different audiences, the haves and the have-nots, the insiders and the outsiders. The early workers, they made a deal with the landowner, and it was a fair deal at the time they did it. They were probably some of the fittest workers, the most able ones. They were early birds, ready to catch their worm, and maybe even a bonus at the end of the day. We then see the workers hired during the day. They were still entitled to payment, but the owner had more bargaining power and could pay them what he felt was right. And then by the end of the day, the last to be hired, they didn't even get that offer. 
they were just told to work and would have probably accepted whatever the came. I think you'll agree with me, at this point in the story, there isn't anything too unusual. In fact, the landowner seems to be quite a commercial guy going about his business. But what follows and what Jesus does with the story is a really good illustration of grace and law. You see, the earliest hires were relying on the certainty of their agreement. A denarius was a typical day rate for the worker. And they knew that at a minimum, that's what they would get at the end of the day. So they were working for that return. But the afternoon hires, they had to trust that the owner would treat them fairly. They knew they would get something, but they didn't know how much. And so probably as well as working for the money, they were also working to demonstrate to the owner their value so that at the end of the day, they got something good. But what about the 5 p.m. workers? They were in no position to negotiate. All the power was with the owner. And in fact, they only had about an hour left in the day to impress the owner. I'm sure they were working, hoping for money, hoping for a handout, maybe some food. But I think they were also grateful for the chance to do something. They'd spent the whole day doing nothing, and finally someone was giving them a chance to do some work. What we see is as the workers lost value in the eyes of the world, they became more dependent on the owner and his grace and his favor. So their motivation shifts from working for themselves and what they think they're worth to working for the owner and the privilege of getting to work for him in his vineyard, having waited a long time for the chance to do that. And I think Jesus is showing us a picture of heaven. He sees value in places that the world doesn't. The forgotten, the written off, the neglected. He's made his grace available for all of us. But I think this is encouraging and sobering because we can enjoy his grace as we shift our focus away from ourselves and onto him. The more we choose to rely on our own sense of value, the less we're looking for his grace. And I think, you know, we sometimes think we can work our way up, but the truth is we can't. We need his grace. We can't try to do it by ourselves. And one other thought. Jesus shows the owner going out throughout the day again and again, trying to pick more and more laborers. And it reminds me of what he says in John 14, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So let's think about the 5 p.m. hires. Who might they be? Because I think it's quite tempting, at least it was my temptation the first time I read the story, to see them as very lazy. They've been standing around all day. They've not been working. You know, think of Daily Mail headlines, scroungers, not worthy of the money they're receiving. But I'd like to paint a different perspective. You see, some commentators have looked at the time and they've said, well, actually, um, under Roman occupation, times are very tough and a lot of people working on the land, farmers, smallholders, they were struggling to keep up with the Roman taxes. Let's take a look at a short video clip. Your tax is late. Seven denarii. Just one more week. Please. My wife, she's... Take it in meat. No, no, please. I'm...
I think you get the gist. This comes from a wonderful version of the Nativity, which, if you've seen it, it was on the BBC a few Christmases ago. Uh, and the shepherd, Thomas, here, has been struggling to pay his taxes. His family, he's, he's just had a baby. His wife is still recovering. They've got to pay for medicine. And basically, he can't get the money together in time. And the Romans have no grace. They're going to stop at nothing to get their money. And I think the listeners listening to Jesus' story would have been aware of the realities of life under the Romans and just how difficult it was. In fact, the Roman behavior, some say, went against Jewish law. We see in Leviticus 25, um, which talks about the Sabbath, but also the year of Jubilee. And there was a custom put in place that every 50 years your debts were forgiven, the land would go back to the owners, and it was a clean slate. But under the Romans, this was all not working out, and the Romans had basically taken over. What that means is there were a lot of unemployed people looking for work, and that meant the 5 p.m. crowd were quite likely to come from some of these cohorts. So people who were struggling to put food on the table, you know, it wasn't that they were lazy, it was just the difficult times. And actually at 5 p.m. they were probably expecting to have to go back to their families with bad news. It's been another day, I've not been able to get for work. Probably wondering how they were going to feed themselves and their family, and then knowing that the next day they'd have to start again. I've been helping out at the job club over the last few months, and one of the challenges that I see there on a regular basis is a lack of confidence. Work is so fundamental to who we are and to our identity that when we're out of work for a period of time, it has a massive impact. And this is something that resonates with me because confidence is an area that I've been battling with my whole life. You see, I like to see myself as self-confident, self-reliant, confident in my abilities, in who I am. But actually, do you, do you understand the language I'm using? Me, me, me. And what happens is when the going gets tough, especially in work, this becomes an area of weakness because fear creeps in and it gets in the way of my confidence. Because you see, I can't do it by myself. Fear is an interesting phenomenon. In many ways, it's the opposite of faith. If you're familiar with the parable of the talents, we see a master who gives his servants different amounts of gold to go and do with while he's away. And we see that with the one who only received one bag of gold, he became afraid. So what did he do? He buried his gold and did nothing with it, which of course was the wrong thing to do. Fear robs us of our confidence to invest what we've been given. Fear lies to us. Fear tells us we are not worthy. Fear tells us we're not employable. Fear tells us we don't deserve to be loved. Jesus has a different message for us. Perfect love casts out fear. And I'll read that verse, 1 John 4:18, from the message. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life... Fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. I've become increasingly aware of another fear in my life. Some of you may resonate with this. FOMO. For those of you not down with the lingo, fear of missing out. My fear of missing out means I say yes more than I say no. I keep my diary full, all well-intentioned, but it adds to my busyness and my tiredness and actually gets in the way of sometimes me enjoying God's grace in my life. Growing up, we had a rule in my family. It was called the two-biscuit rule. You might have had something similar. So before this rule was in place, Elevenses would look a bit like this. You'd sit down, you'd get your biscuit, and you'd get your drink, and then one of us would go for the second cookie. And then what followed generally was a free-for-all for as long as we could until mum intervened. And the point is it wasn't how many biscuits we actually wanted, but it was how many the others were having, that fear of missing out. And I think the rule came in when we devoured a whole packet one morning. Um, 
see, I want to get the best deal. So when I go out and buy things, I'm always looking for the discount. I want to get the latest coupon. I still remember one of my first paychecks. I was about 16, and I took it, went down to HMV, saw the tape I wanted. It was 10.99, and then I was walking up Sutton High Street, and I saw the same tape available in Woolworths for 6.99. 20 plus years on, that still irks me. <laughs> And what about freebies? You see, I don't know if you've been caught up in the Waterloo delays recently. Um, apparently, the queues for the ice creams at Waterloo were longer than the queues for the platforms. See, we all like our freebies. I still remember my student card, and I'd get an extra hamburger when I went to McDonald's. And I remember in our economics lectures, we would talk about price sensitivity and the whole economics behind why you have different prices for different customer groups. But I think the economists were missing something. You see, I think we all like a deal. We all like to feel special. Now, we were at Legoland at the beginning of the summer holidays, and we had a great day. But our fun day was momentarily interrupted a few times when we'd get to the front of the queue, getting ready to go on um, a ride, and then we'd be told to wait because of the dreaded queue bot queue jumpers. And of course, you know, it's not fair. You might have seen all the news articles about the BBC salaries. I mean, let's face it, they've all been incredibly well paid, but it's that relative thing. It reminds me of when I worked in banking, bonus day was always that day, which was just full of strife because even though people were getting really decent pay packets, you know, I'd be on the phone to colleagues who were complaining, moaning, unhappy because so-and-so got more than them. And it's all, it's a relative thing. I mean, one colleague would tell me it was the only day of the year where he found out what he was truly worth. So his value all tied up in an arbitrary notion. How many times have you heard a child say, it's not fair? I would question, is, is it that different as adults? You see, comparing ourselves with others is always a recipe for disappointment. And yet, for many of us, it's a default setting. We have an idea of what it means to be just, what it means to be fair and generous. But at the same time, we all want preferential treatment, and we don't see the irony. The early workers were offended because in their eyes, the owner had made the other workers equal to them. The denarius that they had agreed to work for was no longer a good deal when they compared it with the freebies that the others were getting. And I love the owner's response, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Jesus is showing us that the currency of God's grace works in a completely different way to our human metrics. It's not for sale, you can't buy it. Jesus is challenging us to focus less on what we think we deserve. He's showing us and asking us to have more compassion for each other and showing us what grace really looks like in practice. Many of us are active on social media, and I'm a big fan. It means I can stay in touch with my friends all around the world, and you can sort of participate in other people's lives. I thought you might enjoy, this is the embarrassing moment, I thought you might enjoy a couple of my status updates. I was looking through, and I, I joined Facebook in 2007. So how about these? Going to the gym, time to sculpt some guns. And this is my best one. Wondering if being a cliche is such a bad thing where fast cars are involved. You can tell I was um, single and I hadn't met Ruth at that point. At times, though, I find social media can be quite a discouraging experience. We know that we're seeing a filtered view of reality. We're seeing the best bits of others' lives. It's a bit on steroids. It's friends inviting us to join into their world, but they're only showing us the bits they want us to see. And often it's quite carefully curated and constructed. And the danger is, I think, this feeds our insecurities and our desire to be noticed and approved, to be loved. We want to be accepted. We want love and grace. But are we looking in the right places? 
You may have seen the story this week of the waitress in Chicago, or in the suburbs, who was not tipped because of her rainbow tattoo. And I was really saddened because her customer was using Jesus as an excuse for his intolerance. But it's not the same Jesus who I know. The Jesus we see in this story. The Jesus who freely offers grace and love. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes, and I'm taking this from a translation called The Passion, you will be empowered to discover the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Wow. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement. Don't you want more of that? We have a familiar saying here in the vineyard, everyone gets to play. We're not an exclusive club. There aren't barriers to get in. Everyone's been invited. Jesus came for the displaced, the marginalized. He came for you and for me. And I think Jesus' message is, I love you because you're worth it. So who do you resonate with in the story? I think if we're truly honest with ourselves, a lot of us at times feel like the 5 p.m. crowd. How many of us have had work frustrations, relationship challenges, feeling undervalued or underappreciated, when we're running fast just to stand still in desperate need of some love and grace? And what about the early birds? When I started preparing, my initial focus was on their attitude and where we might need to challenge our own sense of greed and entitlement. But I think that risks missing the point and adding another thing that we need to do, another burden. I think they were really tired after a hard day's labor in the field. What are you like when you're under pressure, exhausted, feeling weak and vulnerable? I was thinking about this summer. How relaxing has it truly been? We've got two young kids and we can't wait for school to start and get back into routines. <laughs> Life is busy. We take too much on and there aren't enough hours in the day, which I think feels virtuous sometimes. You know, I'm really busy. So it's almost a badge of honor. But are we doing that and stop, you know, not creating room for more grace in our lives? I know that's true for me. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I don't think Jesus was deliberately trying to antagonize his audience. Instead, I think what he was doing was trying to remind people that his father's love for us is freely available by his grace, not by our actions. We can't earn his love. We receive it because he chooses to be generous with us. So as we draw to a close, let's ask God for more of his grace in our lives today. Let's allow God's love to cast out our fears. And let's find our rest in Jesus. And even if you've been standing all day waiting, losing hope, Jesus' message for us is that it's not too late because you're worth it. So if I invite the band back, I think we've got a few minutes um, for some ministry time.